Father in heaven, we thank you so much. Um, God, just right now, the first thing I want to thank you for is for these wonderful children. They just bring so much joy to our lives and to our hearts. God, thank you for their innocence. Thank you for the way that this church rallies around them and invests in our children. Lord, thank you for all of the volunteers that give of their time and of their talents to teach these children the gospel. Lord, thank you that here at Bethany, I know for certain, because I benefit from this, and my kids tell me this, Lord, I know that we don't offer babysitting services. That, Father, these volunteers are teaching them your word and how much of a joy it is to be able to sit around the lunch table or the dinner table and talk to my children about what they have learned from my brothers and sisters during children's church, during Sunday school, and Wednesday night. Thank you, Father, for the children of this church and the vibrant children's ministry that goes on here. We pray for your blessings over that ministry, that, Lord, even as these kids are gone to children's church, that they would grow in you as we seek to do the same here, studying your word. Father, we pray that everywhere across this campus that your word is being taught, that you would speak to us. No one is is here today, Father, to listen to a specific person. We are here so that your Holy Spirit might speak to us. And so we all collectively pray that you would speak through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word, that you would encourage us and motivate us and comfort us, Father, that you would challenge us and convict us. Lord, we pray that you would do this as we turn our whole attention and our whole hearts to you and to your word now. Would you speak in spite of me? We ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the Gospel of John. Chapter 13, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, we'll be reading verses 1 through 20. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I want to encourage you to take and borrow one of the copies that's there in the back of the pew in front of you. If you don't own your own copy of God's Word, feel free to take one of those copies that's in the back of the pew as our gift to you. We would love for you to take that home and be happy to replenish it before next week. But you are also welcome to access the Word of the Lord in a digital format um, as well as in print. But however you might be accessing the Word of the Lord, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's Holy Word. As we look together now at John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 20. I'll read for us. Once I've completed the reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you are grateful for it, I encourage you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Let's look together now. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, 
tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to John chapter 13 this morning. And this is a continuation in our sermon series where we look at seven M's that make up what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We talked about how this ties in with our church mission statement. We are existing to glorify God, and we do that by believing in Jesus, becoming his disciples, and building his kingdom. So the first week we looked at what do we believe? What is the gospel? What does the gospel actually mean? So after understanding what that means, we took a good long look at Matthew chapter 28. Just as a refresher, it'll be on the screen for you. This is the great commission that Jesus gives. He says, go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples disciples. Remember, that is the only command. That is the imperative in these two verses, to make disciples. Go is actually a participle. In your going, in your teaching, in your baptizing, make disciples. And so our goal is to be a disciple of Christ, to be a fully grown disciple of Christ. That means to be a lifelong learner, To be a disciple is to be a follower, is to be an apprentice, is to be a learner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are striving to make disciples. And now we know that as people begin to follow Jesus, not only are we making disciples, but disciples will begin to look different than the world in certain ways. The the most obvious is what we see in Galatians. The disciple of Christ will be filled with love and joy and peace 
and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. The practical outworking of the fruit of the Spirit. The way that the fruit of the Spirit shows up in our lives, that's the focus of this sermon series. And so I'm borrowing from a pastor friend of mine named Ken Adams, and he's got seven M's that mark a disciple of Christ. Seven marks of a disciple of Christ. If you'll remember, we started off by talking about how a disciple is a member. We are not designed to exist on our own. We are designed to exist in a community of believers. So all the rest of these flow out of membership. We should be a committed member to a local congregation. So disciples should be members. They should be magnifiers. Last week we talked about how our lives should be like that of John the Baptist. We should decrease and the Lord should increase. That should be the focus of our heart, of our life, of all that we have, of all that we are. Not to make a big deal of us, but to make a very big deal of Jesus. To point to Him, to make His name great. And tying back into membership as a church, as a local congregation, our goal, what we are striving to do together as a community of believers is all together to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. I say it when I pray on Sunday mornings that if we come here with other agendas, we have to set those aside. Sunday morning should be about us as members magnifying the name of Jesus Christ. If people tune in online, if people wander in from the street, they should wander in and know immediately we care a great deal about Jesus and making his name great. The next M is what we'll look at this morning briefly, minister. A disciple of Christ should be a minister. A disciple of Christ should be maturing. A disciple of Christ should be a manager, should be a messenger, and then last should be a multiplier. These are how we become his disciples. And then that last one, multiplier, is how we build his kingdom. And so this morning we'll be looking specifically at what it means to minister. And so that ha- that's why we have John chapter 13 as our primary passage, as the anchor for this minister. Now, we think of minister in terms of a vocation, correct? We think of minister in terms of I'm a minister, Philip's a minister, Jason's a minister. We think of professional people who it is their vocation to be a minister or some sort of religious servant, some sort of clergy member. That's typically what comes to mind when we think of minister as a noun. But minister as a verb is a very simple, simple word. All it means is to give aid or service. To give aid or service. If you are to minister to someone, then you are to give aid or service to that person. If we are to be ministers, we are to serve others. And so the vocation of a minister is a vocation of service, of serving the church, of serving the Lord and serving his church wherever he leads, wherever he sends, however he calls. If you say, I am going to spend my career professionally being a minister, all you have committed to is a life of service in the service of the Lord, in the service of the church. But it is not something where the people who are paid and are professional at being ministers, because this is their career choice, 
that they are the ones who do the serving and no one else does anything. If that is our concept of what it means to be a minister, then we have failed at understanding what a minister really is. A disciple is a minister. It is part of following Jesus to serve, to use your career, to use your life, to use your financial resources, for me to use my career, for me to use my life, for me to use my financial resources, my time, my talents, anything and everything I have to serve. Disciples are people of service. And you may say, well, I, I just don't understand where you get that. I mean, I know that ministers are supposed to be in service. I'm reminded sometimes as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ that people of the church pay my paycheck and that I should do what they say because they're the ones who really pay my salary. And so I'm in service to them. But I would remind you I am in service to the Lord. All of us are in service to the Lord. There's not a separate category. All of us should serve because Jesus served. Of all the people that could have said, serve me, Jesus was the one deserving. Jesus is the one who could have showed up and been a king and sat on a throne and never gotten up off of that throne and said, you do everything I want you to do. You do everything for me. But even from Christmas onward, when he showed up, he shows up in a humble stable around animals. He gets laid in a feeding trough. He's born to a woman who's a nobody by all the standards of society. She's special because God calls her out, but she's not royalty. She's not high born. She's not some significant politician. She's not some significant governor's daughter. She's not the daughter of the emperor. She's not a princess. She's a regular girl. Jesus doesn't come in thunder and lightning and fire and earthquakes and hurricanes. The way that Jesus comes is more like winter snow, right? You go to sleep, you never hear it. You wake up the next morning and it's covering the ground. He was humble from the get-go. And even here with his disciples, he chooses to wash their feet. I know that we've studied this passage before, and so some of this may be repeat information for you. But I want to remind you, this was a task they would not even let Hebrew servants do. Washing someone's feet was such a grotesque and disgusting and low, low task that they would find Gentile servants and slaves to wash their feet. They would not even ask the Hebrew servants to wash their fellow Hebrews' feet. There's nothing that could have shocked or appalled the disciples more than Jesus standing up, taking off his outer garments. Before you even get to washing the feet, recognize that Jesus takes off his outer garments and all that is left upon him are his undergarments. You're at the Passover feast and your teacher stands up and begins to disrobe. That is shock and awe of the greatest degree. He's now standing there in front of you in his undergarments and he just takes a towel and wraps it around his waist. They had to be as befuddled, as confused as they possibly could be. None of them had words to say. Jesus, what are you doing? Nobody does this. Nobody just stands up and disrobes in the middle of the Passover feast. I mean, we don't have a feast like this that's comparable, but I want you to think about like Thanksgiving dinner. 
It's a really important dinner and all your families come in from all over and like the patriarch of the family stands up and begins to disrobe. It's an awkward situation on that instant, is it not? I mean, that what's going on? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, that's not what Thanksgiving is about. What are you doing? You're beginning to wonder if, if that person has Alzheimer's or some sort of mental disorder. Like what is going on? Put your clothes back on. But Jesus continues to disrobe and wrap a towel around himself to all of their amazement, to all of their shock, to all of their awe. And then he goes and he gets a water basin and he kneels at their feet. Folks, I don't want to gross anybody out this morning. I don't want to go too far. But you just got to understand, feet are already disgusting. And it only gets worse as you go further back in history. Okay, there's this show called Dual Survival. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's one of Jason Gunter's favorite shows, and he tells me about it often. But one guy is this outdoor extremist who is a survivalist with all the outdoor gear, the boots and all the gear and everything. The other guy is kind of a hippie naturalist, and for years he's wandered around in the outdoors barefoot and built up calluses to make the bottom of his feet like leather so that he doesn't need shoes. I'm just telling you guys, there's nothing appealing or nice or good about Feet, especially bare feet or feet that have been in sandals, walking around dusty, dirty roads. They did not have sidewalks. They did not have paved streets. And the animals shared the roads with them, okay? So you just go with the rest of it in your own imagination. This is a disgusting task. Never should a Hebrew slave have to do this. But Jesus, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one who formed you and me when we were still in our mother's wombs, the one who knit us together cell by cell, the one who spoke and the 70 quintillion stars that exist all came into existence and he named every one of them and he's bowing to the ground and getting his hands and feet dirty in his undergarments with a towel to wash his disciples' feet. And the thing that blows me away that every one of these disciples is about to abandon him. Every single one of them will get so scared they will run in fear and terror of being arrested like him. You know who else was there? Judas. One thing that all the disciples run away, that's bad enough. I'm going to wash my friend's feet knowing that not too far in the future this friend is going to abandon me completely. No, no, no. I'm going to wash one of my followers' feet who I know is leaving this table to go stab me in the back. But I'm going to wash his feet too. Man. Talk about service. Not self-service. Not service that just we do so that we look good. Not service that we pretend is something good, but it's actually just a benefit for our family or for us. This is true self sacrifice. This is service of lowering yourself and raising someone else, considering their needs as more significant than your own. There's no payback for this. Jesus does what is unthinkable in service. And then look at what he says in verses 14 and 15. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, if I then, your Lord, your master, your teacher, your boss, your principal, 
insert whatever authority figure you want right there. You're king. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. That you also should do just as I have done to you. This is the call from Jesus that all of us are to be servants. All of us are to not hold ourselves in higher regard than we should. All of us should be willing to humble ourselves and make self-sacrificing service to one another. Because Jesus did it as an example for us to do with one another. Within our congregation. Within our community. To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. To be servants. To serve one another. If we would be disciples of Jesus, we would be people of service. We would not count ourselves as supreme people in the county. As those who are high up and those who are held in high esteem. We would count ourselves as lowly servants of one another. But so often, so commonly, we get puffed up with our own pride. We get puffed up thinking we are somebody. We're entitled to something. Jesus was entitled to everything. And he laid it aside to serve a bunch of men who would abandon him and betray him. And to wash their feet. To wash their feet. Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. He explains why he did that and why he did everything he did. For even the Son of Man. That's him. That's Jesus. You look in Daniel, that's him claiming to be God. For even God, the Son of God, came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was a minister. Not in his profession. Not because he got paid to do it. Jesus was a servant. Jesus served those when he was the one above all else who should have been served. And how often in your life and how often in my life do we demand that we ought to be served when in reality, if we truly are disciples of Christ, our goal and our mission should be to serve others. How are you doing in that regard? All week long wrestling with this text, I've had to ask myself, what what kind of servant am I? What kind of service do I do? And as you ask yourself these questions, I I want you to think, is the service that I'm doing ultimately self-serving? Or is the service that I'm doing self-sacrificing? If you claim to be a servant, but you only ever serve your family, if you claim to be a servant, but you only ever serve in ways that are visible, If you claim to be a servant and you only serve in ways that ultimately come back and benefit you in some way or another, I want to tell you just like the IRS would tell you. If you make a donation to something that is self-serving, you don't get to count that as a charitable donation. If you and I are serving in our lives in a way that is self-serving, it's not really service. It's not really servitude. Are we as disciples, are we as Christians serving in a way that resembles Jesus taking off his outer garment, humbling himself, and washing these disciples' feet?
Is that how you serve? Is that how I serve? That's the challenge for us this morning from John chapter 13. Jesus did this as an example so that you and I would do likewise. I'm not saying you've got to go and find somebody, take their shoes and socks off and wash their feet this afternoon. That would be awkward and odd. Don't do that. But I am wondering, metaphorically, whose feet are you washing? I've asked myself all week, Nathan, whose feet are you washing? Ask yourself, whose feet am I washing? Who am I serving? As a disciple of Jesus, how am I ministering?